0: What do we do when we really blow it? Like when we really mess up, really bad? It's a good thing we don't do this very often, right? Maybe we do. We are we are a people who are more prone to hurting one another than we like to admit. Uh, we are a people who. Uh, so often choose selfishness and and pride and turning to our own wisdom uh... welcome to the human race Uh, and if we're honest even those of us who are confessing followers of jesus christ messing up uh, choosing sin is not something we just used to do this is as we live in this world that is desperately longing for jesus to come back and to make all things right we continue to wrestle with this sin in our lives. So what do we do? How can we come and stand before a holy, almighty God? This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 130. And I invite you to turn in there with your Bibles. Uh, you can also read it on the screen. I'll be reading from the NIV this morning. A song of ascent. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being awaits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So this song, you're going to notice, before we dive into, the, into all of it, I want to point out a few things. And so you're going to notice right at the beginning, above verse 1, it says, a song of ascents. Now Psalms 120 to 134 they all have this same note so what is a song of Ascent? so ascent it means to climb up now during my trip to Israel a few years ago we spent some days in the Sea of Galilee around the Sea of Galilee in the places where Jesus grew up and where he began his ministry and then we got on a bus and we traveled up to Jerusalem now you're going to notice on the map I brought a little laser pointer here so I can try to point this out. But so the Sea of Galilee is uh, right up there. Now most of us, when we think of up, we think of north. But Jerusalem, you can see where I'm pointing here, is right down there. So whenever they talked about traveling up to Jerusalem, whenever traveling to Jerusalem, they never talked about it as traveling north or traveling south, but always traveling up to Jerusalem. And the reason for this is because Jerusalem is located on a hill. Now three times a year, all of Israel, they journeyed to Jerusalem for the pilgrim festivals. And as they journeyed, this collection of psalms called the Songs of Ascents, because they were climbing up, they would be some of the songs that they would, that they would sing. And in these psalms, uh, the pilgrims share their expectations as they make their way to Jerusalem to celebrate now the other thing I would like to point out is that this collection of Psalms they were intended to be sung they were songs in fact if you were to browse the book of Psalms you would discover that there are many Psalms that include a little note about how they were intended for the choir director the Psalms were Israel's songbook they're their hymnal now if you've attended church worship services for any length of time, you will notice how important singing is to the church. But why is that? Right? Why is singing and music so significant to the church? Why do the people of God need to sing? Right? Why do we write songs? Why do we collect those songs that are written by our forebearers? And why do we sing them as a congregation? Why was it that the first thing the Israelites did after they had crossed through the Red Sea is look back after the waters had closed over their Egyptian oppressors, why was it that the first thing they did was sing? Why was it that Paul and Silas, right, beaten and bleeding in the bowels of a Roman prison, they were singing when the earthquake rattled the doors at midnight? In various passages in the New Testament, we find Paul even instructing the church to sing to God and to one another. So why is that? And why is it that one of the first things that we do when we gather as the community of faith is sing? Marty Parks, he says this. He says, Music, like all art, sort of bypasses the intellect and goes straight for the heart. Music sneaks past our barriers and it captures our attention when we're not offering it and it lays hold of our souls. It speaks to us in a language that we cannot resist. And when the right lyric is set to the right melody animated by the right instrument instrumentation, magic. And when all this is utilized to declare God's word to his people, here is strength. And when the people of God come together in this extraordinary way in space and declare their shared song and story. Here is power. Here is a joy that heals and transforms. This is why we sing. This is why we sing together. And now this psalm that we are exploring this morning is a psalm that the Israelite people would have sung as they traveled up to Jerusalem. Now as you can imagine, there would have been a wide variety of psalms and songs that they would have sung as they traveled. Now, some of these are psalms of of joy and thankfulness. Uh, Some are psalms of remembrance, like remembering what God has done. But all of them would be songs of expectation. And Psalm 130 is also a psalm of expectation, but with a slightly different focus. This is one of the seven penitential psalms in the Bible. To put it in plain words, these are psalms which express sorrow for sin and ask for God's forgiveness for sin. This is a psalm of repentance and confession. So why would a psalm of confession and repentance be one of the psalms that they would sing as they traveled up to Jerusalem for the annual festivals? Well, to humble themselves... And to prepare their hearts to worship and commune with God and to commune with one another. And the truth is, as Romans 3 verse 23 tells us, all of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, how can we stand before a holy, perfect, almighty, all-knowing God? We need to be forgiven. Or we need to be washed clean, to be purified. And so the people of God they would sing and they would pre- they would sing as they and pray this as they prepared their hearts to worship God. And it's a recognition of their of their need for God's grace and for his redeeming love in their lives. It's a recognition of of who we are, but even more important, importantly, it is a declaration of who our God is. It is a declaration that our God is is merciful and forgives. As Psalm 103, verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And so, recognizing our need for God's mercy and and His forgiveness is something that Jesus taught His disciples when He taught them to pray. So He says, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, in these verses, Jesus, He's not teaching his disciples to simply pray these words just, just broadly. He was inviting them and us to reflect as we pray these words, right? to do an honest evaluation of our own lives and to recognize the many ways that we need the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And there are people who spend a lot of time feeling completely defeated because of their sin because of their brokenness and their propensity to sin. And the guilt and the shame that accompanies sin can be overwhelmingly paralyzing, especially for some people. However, there are also people who fail to recognize the presence and the gravity of their own sin. They try to minimize it or not deny it or excuse it. And so Matthew, he he places the Lord's Prayer in, in an interesting spot chapter 6 verses 9 to 13 but if you look in your Bibles you'll discover that there's some interesting stuff that happens before and after Jesus talks about all kinds of different topics Jesus talks about anger and we all know that murder is wrong but Jesus tells them that when you burst out in anger towards someone else that is also sin that needs to be confessed and dealt with and then Jesus talks about sexual sin Everyone knew that adultery was wrong, but here Jesus clarifies that lustful thoughts, they also need to be forgiven. And the list goes on. Jesus talks about divorce and broken vows and revenge and loving our enemies, our attitude and practices toward money, worry, judging others, and then so on. And the point is this. We are all, all of us, Deeply affected by sin, by the sin of others, but, but, more specifically, by our own sin. Right? The human we we have a problem. But praise God, for our God is a God who forgives and restores. And so, in Psalm one thirty, the psalmist he expresses this psalm out of the depths. The deepest devotion comes out of the deep places. And so he is deeply aware of his own sin and his desperate need for forgiveness. For it is in the depths of his sin that he expresses this prayer, this cry for mercy. The journey toward forgiveness begins with a cry for mercy and freedom. But before this cry for mercy and freedom can truly come from our hearts, we need to be able to see our circumstances as they truly are. And so to cry for help means... To recognize your brokenness. It means to recognize your sin. To recognize your need for help. Right? To recognize the depths your sin has you stuck in. Have you ever tried to help someone who was not ready to receive help or who did not want help? I remember I was meeting with a, a young man a while back. He was quite open as he shared with me some of the burdens and the struggles that he faced. And he confessed to me that he had begun uh, using some hard drugs. And I could tell that he knew that that this was both wrong and and it was not good for him, especially in the long run. But as the conversation progressed, I suggested that as one way to deal with this temptation to block and then delete this contact of his dealer from his phone. He looked at me, and, and I could see in his eyes uh, that the, the battle raging within him. He knew this was a step that would be good to take, but he just couldn't do it. Unfortunately, uh, that day he walked out of the coffee shop uh, unwilling to embrace the help that he really needed. He wanted those drugs more than he wanted freedom. And he had confessed, but he was just unwilling to cry out or to really embrace that help. And you know, there are are two bold lies that the enemy or the devil tries to convince the world of. And the first is this, to deny or excuse sinful attitudes and actions as actually sinful. So you will hear people say things like this, this is who I am, right? I got to be true to myself. So for example, I'm blunt and I call it as it is. You heard that? But if we're honest, people say that as kind of an excuse to be rude and disrespectful. Because, you know, there are much more gracious, kind and respectful ways that we can speak to other people that actually elicit better results than acting like a jerk to people. Likewise, people will make similar excuses when engaging in sexual immorality while making money at the expense of others, binging the next TV show or gorging that next plate of snacks or whatever it is. Who says this is wrong? This is who I am. This is how I like to cope or relax. Right, big deal. And besides, if it is wrong, it's not as bad as what that guy's doing. Right, denying or excusing sin. The second bull lie the enemy tries to convince the world of is this be bold in your sin and be ashamed to repent now this is a lie straight from the enemy but I remember those days when you know I hear people bragging about how many beers they can drink or how many people they had slept with I think of, of politicians and public figures and every time that I see one of them having to make one of those public apologies It's like the most humiliating thing they could possibly be forced to do. But scripture teaches us that the opposite is true. Rather, be ashamed when you sin, but be bold when you come to the cross to repent. For we have an advocate, a gracious savior who longs to set you free. You see, sin is the wound, repentance is the medicine. And the psalmist, he invites us into a very vulnerable and humble place here. So he feels helpless against the sin that is in his life. Perhaps he feels like he's addicted to a certain behavior and just can't stop. Perhaps he's feeling overwhelmed by, by guilt and shame for something he has done. Perhaps that because of the sinful actions or, or words that he's used, he has caused some, some damage with the relationships of people in his life. And as a result, whatever it is, he's feeling super discouraged. And regardless of what the situation is, what is truly beautiful is that the psalmist, he has come to a place where he knows that he is powerless against this, and he just throws himself toward the mercy of God. And the psalmist, he makes clear to whom he is turning. To the Lord. Right? There are eight verses in this psalm, and eight times we find the word Lord. Now, if you were to look closely, you would notice that five times the psalmist uses the word LORD in all caps. In our English translations, they use this to indicate that this is the personal, holy, and reverent name of God, Yahweh. And the other three times, the psalmist uses the word Adonai to describe the Lord, which means master. And the psalmist is recognizing, right, the the Lord as his master, the one who determines truth and what and right living. And so from the depths, with a full awareness of his sin, the psalmist says in verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. And I think we all know that, that forgiving others can often be quite difficult, especially those offenses that, that hurt us quite deeply. And sometimes depending on what we've done, it can be a difficult thing to also receive forgiveness from others, right? both from others or from God. Sometimes we can get caught up thinking that we don't deserve forgiveness or that we need to earn favor before we can be forgiven. But in order to move on, in order to move forward, in order to serve God, forgiveness is key. So Dr. Carl Menninger, a well-known psychiatrist, he was once talking about how heavy sin and guilt and shame can be on some people. And so he said that if he could convince his patients in his psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, he said that 75% of them could walk out the next day. But unable to be healed from their burdens, their sin and their shame, they stay stuck in the depths. But with the Lord, there is forgiveness. And we see this forgiveness and restoration throughout Scripture. We see how Jesus forgave the adulterous woman and gave her a fresh start. He gave the the demoniac Mary Magdalene a fresh start. Jesus forgave and restored Peter after he denied Jesus three times. He gave Paul, the persecutor, a fresh start. This is the grace of our God. And God desires to do this for you too. And so in verses 5 and 6 we find the psalmist he is anticipating God's help and his forgiveness like watchmen who wait for the morning. And the word that the psalmist uses it implies an expectant faith. And like the watchmen who are who are eagerly alert and awaiting the sunrise, so the psalmist he is alert, he is expecting God's forgiveness and an alleviation of his suffering. And so the psalmist He doesn't get into specifics. He doesn't share what he's confessing or what the agony is that he is, uh, what, what it's resulted in. And for our sake, perhaps it's for the best because it allows all of us, regardless of the burdens and the outcomes of the sin that we have carried or are carrying to identify with him. And so this waiting, it is a bold trust that God will intervene, that God will hear him and respond with grace and mercy. And so to wait for the Lord, it means to put your hope and faith in God rather than yourself. So how, how we respond after we have really messed up, it says a lot about how we understand the gospel. You will know you understand the gospel by what you do when you blow it. Is turning to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, your first response? Or is turning to yourself and your attempt to earn favor with God through your good works, your first response? You see, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you belong to Christ. You you belong to his family. In Christ, you are identified as a saint. The devil has no hold on you or ultimate power over you. But the enemy never relents from trying to slip us up and to make us ineffective. And so what Satan wants to convince you to do is that after you mess up, he's trying to convince you that you are unloved and unworthy. And that you need to earn your way back into God's favor. But bef- you know, before you go back to church, before you open your Bible to hear from God, what you need to do is you need to solve this sin problem on your own. But hear me, that is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came into this world, into this sinful mess that we have made, right into the depths, into our depths. And he laid down his life for us because of his great love for us. And he did this to rescue us, to redeem us. We don't have to earn our way back to God because we can't. Romans 5 verse 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we had mostly gotten things figured out. And so the psalmist has it right. The psalmist understands the gospel for it is in the depths that we must cry out and confess to the Lord. Forgiveness requires a confession of faith. And what is so beautiful is that, as verses 3 and 4 say, the Lord does not keep a record of wrongs meaning he does not hold our sin over us. He forgives. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, he has removed our sins as as far as the east is from the west. And so, where do we go from here? How do we respond? Well, first, we praise God for who he is. That he is good, that he is merciful, that he is full of love toward us. That's where we start. That's how Jesus instructed his disciples when he taught them to pray, right? Lord, hallowed be your name. Second, we follow the example of the psalmist and we express our need for God's mercy and confess. You know, there is this saying that says, you are only as sick as your secrets. And so Jesus invites his followers to confess to the Lord in prayer and to call out for his mercy and help but scripture it invites us to go further yet scripture invites us to not only confess our sins to God but also to one another James 5 verse 16 says therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective there are a few things scarier and confessing our deepest and darkest sins to another person our fear is that the other person will judge us uh, condemn us re- judge us or sure that was someone else but when but here's what i've experienced when you have the courage to confess to to a mentor or to a person who, who loves and cares for you the result is often freedom. It's relief. It's support. Not only that, but your confession also empowers others to share likewise. Jesus gave us, gave us the church. Right? One another to journey on this faith with. Right? We need one another. Third, believe the gospel. Receive. Forgiveness. Stop trying to earn forgiveness through good works. See, believe what Jesus has done for you in the cross, that he took your sins to the grave, that he conquered sin and death. And when you confess your sins to God, embrace the truth of the scriptures, that he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. First John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And fourth, turn from your sin. In other words, repent and follow Jesus. That's where this leads to. Serve him with all your heart with thanksgiving. Let the gospel transform your life. See, the psalmist, he concludes with an address to the community. Verses 7 and 8. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full Redemption, he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. See, forgiveness, it gives us hope. Forgiveness ends with a call to follow. Redemption is seen most fully through what Jesus did for us on the cross. See, redemption means to save, to to buy back. And Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In him that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so through the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, though, this redemption, it goes further yet. See, God, he's always in the business of, of, of bringing good out of bad. And God redeems our pain and our struggle. And regardless of where you have come from or, or what you have endured, God desires to redeem it, to bring good out of it. Some way, Somehow. And like the psalmist who who waits for the morning, it often takes time before we see good result from our troubles. But we wait in faith. We speak from the well of where we are. And our greatest testimony is sharing with others where God has taken us. And I think of those who have endured suffering in, in various ways and how God so often uses that to help someone else. A few weeks ago, Jim and Marlene Reimer shared with us about their house fire. But since then, Jim has shared with me numerous stories about how God has brought good out of that tragedy that they have endured. And I think of some of the most uh, difficult times I've endured as I've served in ministry over the years. Uh, I remember the, some of the unruly kids that worked with at camp, counseling people through difficult circumstances. The death of one of our young adults... And as God has, has brought me through this, through His grace, He's also equipped me for, for future things, but also to help others who have gone through similar things. And in a similar way, the journey that we have gone through as we have wrestled with sin is also not wasted. I think of those who have battled uh, with addiction and those who are on that journey of overcoming And despite the the hurt and the consequences that addiction has caused, they are more often than not the most passionate people and helpful people for others in their need for help in in their addictions. Our God is a God who redeems. He brings good out of bad. He restores and he makes new. Church, if there is one thing that I can leave you with this morning, it is this. Make turning to Jesus the first thing you do when you have messed up, when you have sinned, when you have fallen into temptation that is new or that is far too familiar. Because our God forgives. He restores. And praise God for it is by his strength that we have the hope to overcome and to live and pursue that freedom. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for who you are, and that you are a God who is full of grace and mercy, who extends forgiveness. And Lord, I pray for our, our church this morning that you would help us to be a people who confess with humility, who trust and believe that you are for us, that you love us. Lord, I pray that you bring us together and heal us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.